Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University. Now your hosts, Doug Sweeney and Kristen Padilla. Welcome to the Beeson Podcast. I'm your host, Doug Sweeney, here with my co-host, Kristen Padilla. Just a few hours ago, we concluded another service of commencement and consecration, during which today's guest gave the sermon. A wonderful sermon, I might add. Nineteen students graduated with an MDiv degree. Please pray for this dear group of faithful gospel ministers as they go forth and serve in the name of Jesus Christ. What a privilege it is to have today's guest with us all the way from Rwanda. He's become a cherished friend over the past couple of years, and the Lord has used him mightily to build up his church and educate its younger members for decades now. Kristen, I wonder if you might let our listeners know some more about him before we jump right into our conversation. Sure. Thank you, Doug, and hello, everyone. Today on the show, we have the Most Reverend Laurent Mbanda, who is the Archbishop of the Province of the Anglican Church of Rwanda. He is married to Chantal. He has several degrees from Denver Seminary, Fuller Seminary, Trinity, International University. And um, I'm going to let you tell more about yourself to our guests, but we're just so glad to have you with us. Thank you very much. It's a joy to be here today. Yes, I'm Roran Banda from Rwanda. I'm married to Chantal. We have uh, three children and a son-in-law. Uh, my daughter lives in Rwanda. She has two grand, uh, two of our grandkids, and she's married to Junior, and her name is Erica. We have also two boys. One is in Atlanta. He's a stuntman, and uh, the other is in Philadelphia, works in New York in areas of finance. Uh, we are blessed uh, to have uh, those children, and God has been wonderful to us. These are these children who were born in the States mm-hmm. when we were students, one in Chicago, two in Denver. And so we have not really lived in Africa, we have, but we have traveled extensively in Africa. We are so happy to have our daughter Erica next door to us <laughs> and our two grandchildren. Bishop Bond, it's so good to have you with us today. Uh, I want our listeners to learn a little bit about your ministry, of course, but before we ask you about your ministry, we want them to hear a little bit about your life story. It really is a story of God's faithfulness, a story of difficulty. I have read and uh, delighted in a book that you have written called From Barefoot to Bishop, A Rwandan Refugee's Journey. In it, you talk a little bit about growing up in Rwanda during some of the ethnic tensions of the late 1950s, becoming a refugee, uh, needing to flee. Would you tell our listeners just a little bit about your early life and the way God provided for you during those years? Sure. I was born in the country of Rwanda. My parents fled the country when I was about five years old. They fled first to Burundi, came back into Rwanda, and then fled again shortly after that to Congo. In the 1950s, when the first tensions that led to the genocide uh, actually started in Rwanda. So I grew up as a refugee kid uh, in Burundi and Congo, then in Burundi, so um, and, and lived in a refugee camp most of my time. My father was a school teacher in Rwanda who didn't have much education. He had done just uh, seventh grade. And so when we got into the refugee camp in Burundi, in the refugee settlement, he started the school. The school grew to be about 3,000 students, and he ran the school for a number of years. 
and um, missionaries came to the school as to help refugees, provide Bibles, provide food, provide clothing, and it, they also uh, were able to reach to my father, and my father became a Christian. A year later, my mother became a Christian. So I grew up in that kind of home environment, and uh, every time I went to church with my parents, especially since the school had also become part of the missionary work, and on Sundays, they would give invitation for people to come forward. Um, there were some incentives that, for some reason, refugee kids will always go forward to <laughs> pray and to pray to receive Christ. But also after that, you would be given either a crayon or a picture or something. And so, so it's almost like every Sunday you wanted to go forward because <laughs> you were getting something. But growing, growing up as a refugee kid, our school was under trees. We didn't have much in terms of what to write on. We wrote on our arms or wrote mm. on our thigh. Mm. We were very careful not to use Russian or soap mm. so that your skin stays dry so that you can write on it and show the teacher. So I grew up in that kind of environment. I started teaching school when I was in grade three uh, because I was tall and big and my father was the headmaster. So if they needed somebody to go in the grade one to keep the kids quiet, uh, my father sent me there and kind of somehow helped children with math or the multiplication and things like that. So my growing up was a challenge, was a challenge because I watched many people dying of hunger. I watched mm-hmm. other people dying of, man, uh, of, uh, of all kinds of sicknesses, diarrhea, things that come into the refugee camp. Uh, during those days, the refugee camps were not like today, where you have Red Cross, World Food Program, uh, World Division, the Compassion, the World Reliefs. At that time, all we knew was Red Cross and uh, a few UN organizations that would bring in food. Um, so it, it was a, a difficult upbringing. Uh, but I thank God that, and many children were dying. And uh, But I thank God that uh, we survived. And uh, I didn't go to a classroom or had something to write on until I was in grade five. Mm. And so when I finished elementary school um, in Burundi, you had, they had a quota for refugee kids to go to high school. So the first time I didn't make it. And uh, then I waited. The second time, I didn't make it. I didn't make it to the quota. And so at that time, I decided, well, maybe it's better for me to just go into another country and uh, find a life in a different way. Uh, but missionaries who were friends to my father uh, decided that they were going to help. So they took me through the back door and took me to a mission high school. And which is where I rededicated my life for Christ because all those years I knew I had been going forward. I knew I'd committed to Christ, but I heard people say, I received Christ in such and such September, so this time on naming dates. And for me, I wanted to, to be sure and I wanted to rededicate my life to Christ. And so I did in 1917, my first year of high school, and we were in a mission high school. And from that time, you know, I was on fire for the Lord. I wanted to serve the Lord. So time went by. I finished. Uh, uh, I finished high school. I couldn't find a job in Burundi. It was very difficult. There were some missionaries who were trying to help. It didn't work mainly because I was a refugee. And uh, then, um, you know, I prayed. I talked to my parents. I know my parents wanted to be around and to help, especially since I was the firstborn. 
but I somehow kind of somehow ran away from home really and went through Tanzania and uh, found my way in Kenya 500 miles six months mostly walking and um, and begging on the streets and uh, in the streets of Nairobi when I got there I lived on the street for a while and then found somebody who took me into their home for a while and that journey also led me to a Bible college that was away from Nairobi, almost 250 kilometers in a place called Kericho. I went there. I didn't know anybody, but introduced myself. I didn't look like a student. But by God's grace, they allowed me in and accepted me as a student and challenged me to pay for my school fees, but I didn't have the money to pay. So they gave me a month. After one month, I couldn't find the money. The principal came and said, you are out, you are out, and we cannot uh, have you if you don't have uh, funds. But the story went around and it got to some missionaries in Indiana. And one missionary in one evening shared the story with their group. And a young lady heard the story. She had been in Burundi for a year as a missionary teacher for the children of missionaries. Nancy Proctor at that time, she was not married, and now Nancy Grimes, uh, but she heard the story and gave $300, which is what started me in the Bible college. Mm -hmm. And from that time on, God provided in many different ways. Uh, long story short, I finished the Bible college and then went to work for Campus Crusade mm -hmm. and served the Campus Crusade as staff trainer, later the country director for Campus Crusade in Burundi. Uh, which led to me coming to the States in 1982 uh, to meet with Bill Bright and Barry Marx, who was his vice president, mainly because I had made a mistake and, and I had to explain myself. Compass Crusade challenged you to raise your own support. Burundi, that was a foreign uh, idea in Burundi. So rather than raising personal support, we tried to raise uh, money for ministry in kind. Whatever we got in kind, bananas, flowers, chicken, we'll take it to the market and sell it. The money we got, we will uh, use it to pay our rent and uh, for operations. Mm -hmm. And the money that Crusade gave us for operations, I will use it to pay my staff. That's where I violated the Compass Crusade policy, mm -hmm. which led me to come to Arrowhead Springs to meet with Bright. Mm -hmm. And only to be blessed where he said, after explaining, young men, tell me what you are doing. And I told him and said, go and continue doing what you are doing. Mm -hmm. And so that, that's the story a little bit. But after four years with Crusade, I came to the States as a student. And it was not an easy life either. You can starve even in the States. Mm -hmm. And uh, so started out at Fuller, was kicked out because we didn't have the money to finish. Went to Denver Seminary, which helped me with some uh, scholarships, uh, but at the same time worked on campus. And then later on, Fuller said, hey, you can come and take courses as you want, which I did. And at the time of, uh, the time of uh, wanting to do my doctorate, I said, no, you cannot take the comprehensive exams because you have not paid. And mm -hmm. it was a time when uh, Edgar Derston, bless, bless his heart, he was at uh, Fuller at that time. He said, I know someone who can help you, and referred me to a man by name Ted Ward, who was at Michigan State at that time. But he was moving at Trinity to start uh, the School of Education. Talked to Ted, invited me to Trinity, and I went there, and God opened the door got into the seminary, and God again provided miraculously 20,000 
dollars for my tuition and the school gave me a place to live. I became a security guard for four years on campus and end up graduating without owing anything. So that's mm. God's provision for our lives. Mm. So there's a little bit about the story of mm-hmm. my education. Maybe we'll get to where we can talk about my work. Yeah. You've been involved in a lot of ministries I've read and even fa- founding some uh, before becoming a, a bishop and then eventually an archbishop. Um, how did you discern that the Lord was calling you into this type of ministry work? And tell us more about the various ministries that you've been involved with. You've mentioned Campus Crusade. Um, so you had the part one, your discernment about God's call in your life, and then part two, the ministries you've been involved with before uh, going uh, back to Rwanda. Yes. When I did, did, dedicated my life to Christ while in high school, I was so excited. We were on fire as young people in the in the high school. We really felt that God was calling us to go out and preach the gospel. So we started moving from one school to another, sharing our testimonies. And for me, that was exciting. And I knew God was calling me to be a witness, to share the gospel, to share my testimony with other students in Burundi. Whenever we had some youth camps, we would go there and share the gospel. And from that time on, I started engaging in vacation Bible school with some missionaries. So continued until I finished high school. Mm-hmm. And so at that time, I knew God was calling me in full-time ministry. I wanted to be equipped and to be trained. But it was an era where missionaries didn't necessarily view the need of much education for anything. They said, oh, yeah, you can go and serve. But for me, I had two things. One, I really wanted to find opportunity to go to school and get a degree and uh, and be in full-time Christian ministry. I had I I didn't have a feeling of being a pastor, but I wanted to be in full-time Christian ministry. I didn't quite understand what that was, uh, but I knew some missionaries who were not pastors, who were using their hands, who were tent makers mm-hmm. or some. And um, so I wanted to serve the Lord, uh, but being a tent maker or a bivocational, um, in bivocational ministry. And um, I had heard about the Bill Graham Association. I had heard about the itinerant evangelist. I wanted to be an evangelist. Uh, or I wanted to work with World Vision, which is an organization that I had heard. Uh, but lo and behold, um, after I finished uh, college, uh, I heard about uh, Campus Crusade. And they were looking for somebody who spoke French to go into the French-speaking countries. So a friend of mine referred them to me. That's how I got invited to Campus Crusade. Mm. And that was exciting because in Campus Crusade, it was showing the Jesus film. It was uh, it, it was very evangelistic in nature. It was sharing the four spiritual laws. That was my element. That was the idea where, where I wanted it to be. And later on, when I came into training and into leadership and management, it was exciting, but I wanted to be the fear. Mm. And so when I came to the States as a student and uh, while at the Trinity, I was also seeing many African students in the U.S. And I started approaching a number of missions and say, well, you go out there to minister to the students in their countries. What about those that are here? 
And I remember at that time we started what we called African Fellowship Ministries, mm -hmm. uh, which was part of the International Student Incorporated. And we were reaching out to students in many different campuses uh, uh, in, in the U.S., reaching out to African students. But then after I graduated, the Lord opened the door for me to work with Christian Aid in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was an amazing the way it happened because I saw an advertisement in a magazine that was put out by an organization called Intercristo at that time. So I called the president and I said, you are looking for somebody to be an Africa director for your organization. Looking at the qualification, this person is me. You didn't put my name on. So he called me and he said, if you believe it's you, why don't you come? And we talk. So I went, mm. they interviewed me, and they offered me a job. Mm. And my wife said I didn't do a due diligence because I didn't ask how much I was going to be paid. So when I got home, <laughs> she asked me, and I didn't know what to say. So I called them, and they said, yeah, we realize that we didn't talk about that. We put it in a letter to you. So I served with Christian Ed for two years as Africa director, then I felt like that was not going to meet my desire, which was to serve in Africa, but also and I started thinking, how can I best do that? So my wife and I started a business in Charlottesville, Virginia. We were selling used clothing from buying it from anywhere, Goodwill stores, Salvation Army, repackaging and sending it to Africa for two years. Great business. And uh, we were able to buy a house, we were able to support ourselves. And we started the ministry called CARM, Christian African Leadership Ministries. The idea was so that we can go to Africa, train pastors, mm -hmm. start vocational centers, uh, train, uh, provide opportunities for income generating, teach skills, being supported by our business. Well, one time the business went south uh, due to some political situations in Kenya. And during that downward is when Compassion International called me. Mm. Compassion International called me because there were people who served on the board of Compassion that knew me and they knew that Compassion was looking for somebody. And also the former president of Compassion, Wes Stafford, had been a student of Ted Ward, who was my professor. So um, I went to Compassion, they interviewed me and offered me a job. And... Um, I went to Africa as an Africa program director, was in Nairobi. In uh, 93, 94, the genocide happened in Rwanda. Mm. And that was a very difficult time. Mm. And uh, so I served the Compassion Africa, but at that time also Compassion asked me to go into Rwanda via Uganda to rescue people, to provide relief to those that were behind the fighting lines, and I continued the, doing that until the genocide was stopped. Mm. And then I helped uh, reset and reestablish the Compassion Office in, um, in, in Rwanda. Uh, in 95, uh, I came to the States. Uh, more of rest and relaxation, as they called it, in the NGO uh, industry. <laughs> and so I came. And at that time, Compassion asked me to stay and served in Colorado Springs, and served in different roles. I became a senior, I became a vice president for international programs, and served from '95 to 2004. Mm. And 2004, for the first time, I took my whole family to Rwanda, uh, five of us. And when we got there, we actually went in 2003. One night, one evening, in a hotel in Kigali, 
be stronger. All of us felt God calling us to move to Rwanda mm -hmm. and to help in the rebuilding of the nation, of the country. Mm -hmm. So I resigned my job from Kigali, actually sent a letter to the president and I said, when I come, I want to talk to you as a brother in the Lord, but I also want to tell you what God is doing in my life. And uh, so I came back to Colorado Springs and uh, officially resigned and everyone was wondering is he going into politics what is going why why is he uprooting his children from uh, monument colorado to go to rwanda where it is not safe so that thought of saying maybe he's going into politics made me say actually i will not want to go because we're going through elections in rwanda i will wait for two months during those two months compassion came back to me and said we don't want to lose you what can we do to keep you mm. And I said, no, I want to go to Rwanda. So they gave me a temporary assignment, sent me to Nairobi for six months to a year, and said, after that, you can move into Rwanda. And so I went to Nairobi, helped to design a curriculum on HIV AIDS um, mm. for compassion. After that curriculum was done, I came back, I said, here is the work you have asked me to do. I'm now moving home. But they had already moved me to Nairobi, which was really a godsend, which was God's provision. I didn't know, when I resigned, I didn't know where were we going to get the ticket, five of us. How were we going to move our things? But Compassion moved us to Nairobi. Mm -hmm. And it was much closer to Rwanda. So when I finished the curriculum, Compassion said, well, um, if you want to stay with Compassion, you can move to Kigali. You can also move the Africa office from Nairobi to Kigali, mm -hmm. uh, which I did. And <laughs> then at that time, we are restructuring the organization and they asked me to be the Africa vice president. Mm. And I served five years. And after that five years, the church started knocking on my door mm. and asked me if I was interested to serve the church, which um, my wife and I took time to pray and had God's peace. And we resigned from compassion and went into the church. Mm. Mm. Bishop Banda. Um, we have a good number of Anglicans who listen to our podcast and who study at Beeson and who support Beeson. And I'm imagining that a few of them are listening right now and wondering, Doug, you're sitting across the table from one of the most influential Anglicans in the world, and you haven't yet asked him anything about Anglicanism. <laughs> so my next question just has to do with, so how did you become Anglican? Uh, what was your ordination to the Anglican priesthood like, and how did you become a bishop of the Anglican Church? That's a very, very good question. First of all, let me say that I was not raised Anglican. I was initially, my parents were Catholic, but as I said, my father became a Christian under the work of an organization called World Gospel Mission, based in Indiana. In Africa, we call it Africa Gospel Church. And uh, later on, um, during, uh, after my high school, what was Africa Gospel Church became United Methodist. Mm. And mainly because our moderator wanted to be a bishop. And uh, so we were serving there, but for some reason he didn't like anybody who had some kind of education. So when I joined the Campus Crusade, and I came back into the country, because in the Campus Crusade I started in Kinshasa. Then when I came to Burundi to work there, he didn't want some of us who had gone to school uh, because he felt like we were challenging him. So I worked in the capital city of Burundi. And when he kicked us out, the bishop of the Diocese of Bujumbura, we were three of us from that church, 
He said, you guys welcome into our church. We were doing a ministry of students already. We were doing evangelism and discipleship. We were showing the Jesus film. So we came into the Anglican Church. We were received in the Anglican Church of Bujumbura. And when I came to, to the States in 1984 as a student, I actually was commissioned by, by my church to be the um, commissioner for the uh, Anglican Church of Burundi to the States. So the bishop connected me with the Episcopal Church. And um, it was interesting because I came and I knocked on the doors of the Episcopal Church in the U.S., but they realized it was different from what I was used to in Burundi Mm -hmm. and uh, really challenged me because uh, uh, there were issues I was not comfortable with. So I ended up uh, not attending the Episcopal Church. I ended up attending some of the Bible-believing churches. Uh, in Chicago, where I was, in, I was in an evangelical free church. Uh, in, in Pasadena, I went to a congregational church. <laughs> and in Denver, I was in a Baptist seminary, so I went to a Baptist church. And um, But in 1988, the Bishop of Burundi called me back and he said, we want to ordain you. So I actually went to Burundi from the States, and I got ordained deacon and came back and continued my ministry with, uh, with uh, Christian aid and uh, continued my schooling, continued with compassion as an ordained. But in 1989, a year, a year after I had ordained uh, deacon, uh, I went back to Burundi, I got priesthood. Mm. So I continued as a priest of the Anglican Church of Burundi, uh, serving with compassion. Uh, many people knew I was, I was ordained, uh, but I was not attending an Anglican church at that time. Until uh, later on, some of the churches started um, um, getting out of the Episcopal Church to join what was AMIA, the Anglican Church in North America. Mm-hmm. And then I found a church in Colorado Springs that had the same belief, the church that was, uh, well, we were comfortable with. We started attending it, but at the same time attending a non-denominational um, church because of our children. They were already in the children's program. They were engaged. They were in the youth groups. And so when I moved to Rwanda in 2000 and, um, 2005, because we had moved to 2004 in Nairobi, 2005 in Nairobi in Rwanda, uh, everybody in Rwanda knew me as an Anglican. <laughs> Those mm-hmm. who have lived in Burundi knew me as an Anglican. Mm-hmm. So the first thing they did was to actually welcome me. And I also went to the bishop at that time in Kigali, where we were living, and I said, I'm here if I can serve in any way. But that was a VP for Compassion for Africa. So I was um, assigned as an attached priest to the Diocese of Kigali. And so whenever I was available, whenever I was traveling, my job was traveling and making me travel a lot. But whenever I was not traveling, I would preach at the cathedral. I would mm. preach in other local uh, parishes. I would even provide the training for the pastors. I would volunteer to train for the pastors. So in 2010, one bishop came to me and said, you know, we have been praying for four years. Mm. for somebody to take over from us. It was a bishop talking to me. Mm. And it is like the Lord has led us to you. 
And when he said four years, I realized that it was almost the time that uh, we had actually moved to Rwanda. Mm. And so uh, that, was, that was kind of strange for us. I was working for a big organization. I was a vice president of uh, when taken care of. And I was feeling like I was serving full time, so serving the Lord, preaching and teaching. I really didn't see myself <laughs> fitting into a diocese anywhere. But that sent us to, to pray, my wife and I. And as I prayed, I would also go to friends and I say, yeah, this bishop talked to me about this. What do you think about it? Will you pray with me? And three of the people I contacted, two in the U.S., one in Burundi, who was a very, very close friend of mine. My friend in Burundi, when I mentioned that, he said, praise the Lord, it's about the time that you come. We have been praying for this. Mm-hmm. When I came to Colorado Springs and met a friend of mine, John Bass, who was much older than I was, and I was saying, and he said, Mbanda, I can remember when you came to the States, the stories you shared with me. You know, they couldn't have found a better man for this. Mm. Uh, when I talked to another friend, he said, praise the Lord, I think this is about the time. And my own daughter challenged me. She said, Daddy, why are you struggling? This is because of us uh, paying our school. Mm. He said, we can get a loan and go to school. What if you run a lottery today and got a million dollars? Um, um, will you go do this job? And uh, before I said anything, she looked at me, she said, yeah, you will do it. And she said, God is calling you in the ministry. So at that time, both my wife and I prayed, and we were convinced. So I went back to the bishop. I said, you know what? You can put in my name, because there is election process, because you can put in my name. Nobody knows me, and, and let God's will happen. If they elect me, I will come. If they don't, I will continue where I was. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, they had their forces synod, and they elected me. And uh, uh, then it went to the House of Bishops. They approved it, mm-hmm. and we came back to Compassion and said we are leaving. And oh. so we left to serve full time. We were in the diocese for about eight years. We had a wonderful ministry up in the northern part of Rwanda. We started the ministry to children. I knew how to work with children from my compassion background. So 217 centers, early childhood centers, mm. meeting the needs of needy children, young children. We started a polytechnic college that has grown now to be over 2,000 students up north. And we... Um, you know, I taught development studies in some universities off and on, and we wanted to try to say how can we help the church to be self-supporting by uplifting the living conditions of the people mm-hmm. so that their life can improve and they can support their church and their church can support their diocese. And we started small saving groups. We started Bible study groups. We started the income-generating activities. The Lord led us to build a commercial building that is now funding the ministry. We built a small guest house that is funding the ministry. And when I thought I was finished with the diocese and ready to go back to Compassion, because Compassion had offered me a job, especially since I had been serving on the board after I left Compassion, they invited me to serve on the board, so I was on the board for seven years. And in the process of moving from the diocese that I was serving, which I was left with one year and a half to retire, 
the House of Bishops got together and they called me and they said, we would like you to be our Archbishop. Mm. So time came, went through the process, I was elected Archbishop. So I resigned the new position with compassion <laughs> before I actually started, even though I had been in the job about six months. Hmm. And we were in the process of moving back to Colorado Springs. So right before we moved back to Colorado Springs, I was made Archbishop. So the last hmm. four years, I've been Archbishop of the Anglican Church of Rwanda. And we have started a Christian university. We have five pillars, equipping leaders, evangelism and discipleship, early child development in the youth, financial literacy and uh, accountability and management, and sustainability. Yeah. I like that part of sustainability. Yeah. Sustainability for us and for me means developing people, the human resource and the financial resource yeah. to help us do the ministry God has called us to do. And so I'm, I'm big in holistic ministry. But uh, currently, I'm also serving as vice uh, chair for the GAFCON. GAFCON is the Global Anglican mm-hmm. Future Conference. I've been a part of that movement and continue to be. Um, we are hosting GAFCON in Kigali next year. And mm-hmm. GAFCON happens every five years. And next year, we are looking at having 2,600 people in Kigali in April, April 17 to 21st. So that's my ministry of the Anglican Church. I travel extensively. Uh, I'm involved in many uh, Anglican uh, groups here and there. Um, And I love it. And I enjoy it. Well, you gave a wonderful um, charge to our graduates this um, morning. And I encourage our listeners to go and listen to that. Um, sermon that you gave on our YouTube channel um, when you're done with this podcast. Uh, but I wonder if you can give just a very short uh, teaser of your message to our graduates. Uh, you obviously have many years of experience in ministry and various types of ministry. And um, you it seemed like you really spoke out of experience what you've learned from your years in ministry to these young people who are going out into ministry for the first time. So what was that message that you were wanting to convey this morning to yeah. them? The message I wanted to convey is really no different from what we have in Matthew 28, 10 to 20, where Jesus is challenging his disciples to go out and preach the gospel. Mm-hmm. and uh, disciple people and uh, um, uh, preach the gospel to the lost. So the message was about go and bear fruits. Mm-hmm. It is a challenge that we get in John 15, uh, verse 1 to 17. But there is, there is an interesting um, part there where... Um, Bearing fruits, being in the ministry, I think is staying close to Jesus. But first of all, it's the experience that happens in our lives. It is the first Corinthians 5.17. When we receive Christ, we are a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. What is that new? I think it's that new identity in Christ. That, that gives us a different set of uh, values that transforms us to desire to live a life that is pleasing mm-hmm. to God. 
And and I think uh, what I was trying to say to them is uh, stay connected. You know, uh, we all have telephones, and, but if those telephones do not have juice, they are not useful to us. Mm-hmm. And I, what I was trying to say is uh, stay plugged yeah. in Jesus. And he also promises to be with us all the way. When we, when we live a life that is glorifying to God, which is bearing fruits, which is bringing people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is meeting people's needs, spiritual, physical. I mean, I look at the, I look at the whole person, uh, what I call holistic ministry. But we cannot do it alone. And we cannot do it without Jesus. And we cannot do it without the Holy Spirit. So we need to stay connected if we are going to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. We need to believe in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our ministry. But also there is challenges out here. <laughs> and those challenges that the church is facing. And sometimes we are not willing to speak the truth. Or we are being careful not to offend anybody. And yet these challenges are out there. And we are blaming it to our cultures, modern or primitive. And the scripture is above cultures. And the Bible provides us with solution of any human need, of any human problem. So, keep the word of God. Stay close to Jesus. Be obedient to him. And that connectedness, that relationship that is intended to glorify God, and in glorifying God is the living the life that uh, will be honoring to the Lord, and that life alone is a testimony that others can look at it and say, what is different from this person? And that Christ-likeness in us, because we are connected, because we are close to him, is enough message to the people that are around us, to places where we work, to people we live with, uh, bearing the fruits of Galatians 5, uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit. But I think what I was also trying to get to is to say, don't be ashamed of preaching the gospel. Don't walk on eggshells. Preach the gospel. Let the Holy Spirit do his work. Don't worry about offending. I think the problem today, we are in a church, we are in a congregation, we are in a community, and we, we are being careful on what we say so that we don't offend. Uh, we don't want to offend our members in the pews, uh, in case they cut off with <laughs> and not give their tithes or offering. Uh, we really, it's almost like we are afraid to preach the gospel at stage. And what I was saying is, hey guys, don't <laughs> put Jesus in the center. Mm-hmm. Know your Bible. Bring people to the Bible. Bring the lost to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Let God use you. Don't worry about who you offend, who do you not offend. I think the, today we need the people who can stand. And sometimes we are careful and we are dancing. 
and uh, and uh, and compromising and the gospel is not calling us or god is not calling us in the ministry in order to compromise the gospel but he's calling us in the ministry to preach the gospel but we better stay connected mm. and christ in us and with us and with the empowerment of the holy spirit to preach the gospel to the world what an ideal message for seminary students who are graduating. Bishop Banda, our time is slipping away. Uh, Kristen and I always like to conclude our interviews with guests by asking them what the Lord's teaching them these days that um, you might commend to our listeners by way of edifying them before they go. Uh, so we ask you, what is God doing in your life these days? What is he teaching you now that would be helpful for our listeners to know yeah. about? I'm learning more and more by seeing how he works despite us, by seeing how he provides for the ministry, by watching my own life, which is by the grace of God that I'm where I am because I don't deserve to be. And what I'm learning is to walk humbly with the Lord mm. and to be available to him for his use, to bring justice and to be a voice to the voiceless. But more importantly is to walk with him humbly and uh, glorify him in my life, stay closer to him. And I believe if I, if, if, if if, if I can do that, the Lord will bless me. He will bless my ministry. He will bless my marriage. But to, to glorify him. And, and in all of this, to be humble. Well, if the Archbishop of Rwanda can walk humbly with the Lord, I think the rest of us can as well. Thank you for that great conclusion. Thank you very much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Most Reverend Laurent Banda, the Archbishop of the Province of the Anglican Church of Rwanda. He's married to our friend Chantal. Uh, they have children and grandchildren, a blessed family and ministry. We're grateful to you for this gift of your time you. this week and today. Listeners, uh, we want to remind you to pray for these dear students. We've just graduated. Uh, we're praying for you, and we say goodbye for now. been listening to the Beeson Podcast. Our theme music is written and performed by Advent Birmingham of the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. Our engineer is Rob Willis. Our announcer is Mike Pascarello. Our co-hosts are Doug Sweeney and myself, Kristen Padilla. Please subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at BeesonDivinity.com slash podcast or on iTunes.